Running Wild with Christine, sex, success, and other slippery rabbit holes. Welcome to episode 49 with Jordan Gray. How are you, Jordan? So good. So good. Sad to be here. Oh my God, the sun is shining, which is rare. It's a beautiful day. Oh my God, I saw the mood change in everyone on Friday, just at work, just like went from I hate everyone to hi how are you yeah. people just like walk and move differently they're just like they glide through their lives <laughs> the clouds descend for like two hours and people are back to like hiding under their umbrellas and, and like giving like, each other I the hate side everyone eye. Yeah. yeah um so i usually tell people how i met my guests <laughs> go for it <laughs> so this is where we're starting i'm assuming there's, there's two entry points there's to the story, totally so. two entry points so my one of my besties um that's in the book as angie um, I was talking to her about prospective guests on the podcast, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, oh, I have like friends of family, friends of blah, 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 guy that I know that I think you'd like enjoy talking to. And I was like, oh, interesting, blah, blah. So I looked you up. And then after like, I think a couple of weeks of following you, I was like, yeah, actually, I should really like reach out. And I did what I usually do, just like bottle in the sea, just like DM. Hey, yeah. <laughs> want to talk to me? Um, and you were like, yeah, maybe in a little bit, like baby podcast, don't have that much time. And I was like, totally fair. Speak too soon. And I think you even gave me a benchmark. You were like, when you get to episode 50. Yep. And then two Which weeks is my in- stock response. Because I just awesome. I like people to like get their tech stuff out of the way and not have the issues be on my episodes. I'm like, when you're not new, yeah. we'll talk then. And also when you've like showed that you're gonna do more than 50 and not just give up at 26. Exactly. And uh and two weeks ago, I'm off to my first, not my first personally, but my first orgy with my current partner. Yep. Pansexual play party, as you put it, and uh, I show up and I'm like, "There's you." <laughs> and the next episode to record is like 50. Unfortunately, someone canceled, so we're on 49. But yeah, like so serendipitous. Yeah, you're like, "Yeah, we've talked before." I was like, "Have we?" Like, I didn't recognize you visually. You're like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, on Instagram, I DM'd you." And you're like, "Don't worry, you were nice." I was like, "I'm sure I was," but like, I don't remember you so far, but. I looked you up and I was like, oh, wow, totally. And of course, this is the this IRL is place we that we it. meet. Yeah. At least we're still clothed at that point. At that point, yes. For not long. For a, a whole hour. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, great. it was just so funny. I texted Angie the next day being like, guess who I bumped into at my orgy last night? Yep. She was like, what? <laughs> I mean, where else would we bump into each other? Of course, it couldn't be a coffee shop. <laughs> Could be. No, but it just wouldn't yeah. have happened. That origin story makes way more sense for both of us. Um, did you have fun that night? Yes. It was, yeah. I think I might have mentioned to you, I can't remember who, which conversations I had with. Which with people. whom, yeah. But, um, yeah, I'd done a couple of years of play parties in my mid-20s that had pros and cons to them, and this one was similar. I liked yeah. a lot about it, and there was also some challenges it was a net positive i was glad that i went yeah and yeah some people i liked more than others present company included and here we are <laughs> thankfully it's like mm, i didn't like you but now i have to because i bumped into you <laughs> no, <laughs> no it, it was it's true like i find this is by the way guys this was like an 18 person play party yeah like that's a big party. It was good, and the average attractiveness level was probably the highest of it any party I've been to. It was a lot of very attractive, yeah. very tall people. Which yeah. you'll know from me in the past. I'm tall. I appreciated that. And you so consider is yourself tall? Yeah, I'm five ten. Okay, you didn't. Okay, I guess that's tall. I don't but know. You're a giant, right? 
when we hugged, I was like, I would not have. I no. Like less today's hug and more, yeah, when I met you at the party. Yeah. And you're like, you have a big presence, but yeah. when I hugged you, you felt like I feel maybe 5'7". Yeah. No, I'm 5'10", I'm, I'm yeah. yeah. But you're 6'6"? Six, 6'7". Six? Six, seven. Seven. Jesus. So, and you were the second the... tallest person there. Yeah. There's a 6'8 guy there. A giant. With a giant so penis. <laughs> it tends to happen. Not always. <laughs> not always. Always intense. Not a guarantee. Nope. Nope. But yeah, no, it was a very good, well-attended party. This is definitely the first time I've been four minutes into a podcast appearance, and we've already talked about tall dicks. Yep, that yeah. happens. This yeah. is welcome. I love it. <laughs> Just We're knock right it slow. Um, so, now to go back into the actual format of the thing, because we try. Um, you are a sex and relationships coach. Yep. A best-selling author on Amazon, mm-hmm. and a very profuse blogger. Yes, prolific. And prolific, sorry. Yes. And prolific means like, anyways. Eh, whatever, prolific. Yes. You write, like, like I mean a lot, a, a lot. Yeah. So much. 10 it's books shocking. and 600 articles in five years, six years. That's insane. I write a lot. I, my mind's busy. I wrote the one in like five. <laughs> Different kinds of books. Oh, yes. entirely, yeah. yeah. Um, how did you start doing that? When did you go, hmm, this is what I'm going to do with my life? I had that thought at 21. I started full-time 22, and my 32nd birthday is in a month. So, yeah, just under a decade, like, just under a decade ago. Jeez. Right. What were you doing, like, at 21 when this pops in your mind? Like, what are you up to at that point? I was a wedding photographer, which is somewhat on brand, but I like filming photography. I yeah. still do. Um, so, yeah, my first business was wedding photographer. I was also, so that's mainly a summer's thing mm-hmm. you know people get married once dry out in Vancouver yeah and I was also a part-time server in the colder months so we all did that yeah those two things I was 21 I yeah I also just come from three years of film school so like mm-hmm. 18 to 20 was film school and I remember reading it was like this basic listicle like maybe off of I don't know if it's like literally BuzzFeed but a BuzzFeed but, yeah about finding your path and purpose because I was like just becoming really disillusioned with film and shooting weddings and actors headshots was pretty just flat and I was like yeah. this is my fucking life is about like I want to like have my tombstone say I gave people pretty photos that sure are about love and they can cherish for decades but like just, it didn't feel like a lot fulfilling yeah it's like I'm the listicle and one of the questions it said was or one of the prompts was like look at the kinds of things that you read and I was a huge reader. I looked around my bedroom and I realized that I had zero books on film, photography, lighting, and like over 300 books on sex, relationships, parenting, uh, you know, abandonment wounds, just like everything. You like, had books about parenting at 21? Yeah. I, yeah. It's, I mean, like. <laughs> That's kind of, a random thing to have. kind of like one sentence, you know, epicenter that I usually give people about how I got into it yeah. was I just, I was passionate about it from a really young age and at like seven or eight years old I remember asking adults like is there a, is there a university degree that's about helping people have better relationships and they're like well no there's like general therapists there's divorce counselors but like not that and I was like there's gonna be that seems stupid and so yeah <laughs> at like 15 16 I just I don't know I just had the energy and followed it and spent all of my time in the what was then called the self-help section of chapters. Yeah. Barnes and Noble equivalent for Canada. And uh, 
just never stopped self-educating from 16 to 21. Realized that I had all those books and a lot of passion for this topic. So at 22, I yeah did a Vancouver Google search for basically the like the closest thing to the type of job that I could dream up. I found a company that existed that was doing an overlap of social skills training with dating coaching for mainly like basically tech nerds that had social anxiety. Yeah. You know, I affectionately refer them as tech nerds. They were beautiful people with beautiful hearts. I used to be a recruiter for very techie for tech, areas. Okay. And I would, lit- not on the relationship side, but on the interview side, I'd be like, I'd ask questions and they'd be like, no, I haven't done that. And I'm like, just rephrase it in a different way. They'd be like, oh yeah, that super cool thing I did. I was like, that's an achievement. That's what, that's what they were asking for. Just right. talk about that. <laughs> they were like, oh, I can do that. I was like, I can just unlock things. those social little cues. <laughs> totally. Yeah, so I basically found that company, <clears throat> forced my way in. I showed up for free for months until they could afford to hire me. And I was at the, with them for three years. Nice. Helped their business blow up. Um, got bored with that because the challenge was over. And they were going in a more like corporate direction, whereas I wanted to go more and more sex mm-hmm. direction. So I started my business now just over six years ago and how do you get your first client like when you like it's easy now because you have the credibility and like the back you up how do you get your first client when you're just like hey it's me jordan well i transitioned because i started offline face-to-face in those three years of working with that company um i actually started my website so when i there was like a quarter life crisis where i blew up everything in my life in a 48-hour period what i i Ended a relationship of over a year. I quit that job of three years. I like called up some of my friends and basically broke up with them. It was like, you're bad influences. I'm not going to hang out with you anymore. I Why? And this this is the part that <laughs> my parents thought I was like in a manic episode, which I was not. I was just like tired of bullshit. Yeah. I gave away like 95% of the things that I own and just like fucking cleared house. Yeah. Um, and then my parents were like, are you going to kill yourself? Like, why? What's going on? <laughs> I was like, no, I'm all good. Um... I just don't need all this shit. <laughs> yeah, I just felt like dead weight. So I started my website and I guess that business because when I left that company, I was like, I'm going to start a new business. I'm going to move to Asia and I'm not going to come back until I'm self-supporting from it. I just like, I know that I, I work well with burning the boats. I just have yeah. to go all in. Um, there's that Will Smith quote of like, don't focus on plan B, a distraction from plan A. Yeah. I'm 100% that. I, I'm not... I could have transitioned with a J job because I just would have shot myself yeah. in the foot. Yeah. So, so you moved to I, Asia. Sat, I was going to Asia and there were like two or three of my clients I was working with through that old company who independently, like on their own, I wouldn't have poached them. Yeah. They're like, can we still work with you? Like, I don't know, like phone calls or on Skype. And I was like, uh, sure, I guess that's an option. Yeah. And then I made a website. Basically version one was just a glorified payment processor because I had to find a way that they could pay me while I was in another continent. Yeah. So I got my first client just from momentum that I'd had from three years yeah. of already doing it and them liking me. That's awesome. Yeah. And then how do you go from that? Like how to, what was your main goal then if you start with those four and you don't really have any sort of dependencies because you're in a cheap place to live, like you can yep. start doing things the way that you want to and, yep. and choose the exact focus that you want to. How do you choose? Like, there's such a wide variety of ways you could have done it. Or was it, like, clear from the beginning and you were like, I can finally do what I wanted? I think, yeah, there was, like, some... It was quite clear because I'd spent the last year in that business doing 
things that were increasingly out of alignment. And so mm-hmm. what was in alignment was screaming at me from my heart. I knew what I wanted to do and I wasn't doing it every day. So that 48 hour, you know, life block yeah. was just like, okay, enough with the fucking dead weight. I know what appeals to me and I have to go do that. So while, yeah, there can be dozens of shiny objects and like yeah. things to do, I knew I'm only happy when I'm either creating or coaching. So I'm only going to do those things. I can outsource absolutely everything else that I can with whatever revenue I drum up in these yeah. first couple months. Yeah. And that was basically my intention from day one through to today is like, this business will only run if I'm happy. If mm-hmm. I'm not prioritizing my happiness, this whole thing will crumble. So the only task that ever matters is my joy being cultivated. Yeah. So yeah, I wrote three books in those first two months. I wrote a fuck ton of blog posts and attracted new clients through that. That's insane. And what was the first topics that were like screaming at you from your heart? Like what was after those three years, the thing that you thought was not talked about that was like driving you crazy? I mean, it's funny to think about now because when I look now you talk at, about it all the time. Or no, because when I look back at my first six months of content, I'm like, oh fuck, like that's you know. I think like. But know, we all learn. Sorry. We all learn. You don't hit. Like no, totally. That. But yeah, I mean, but yeah. What did matter to me in that first year? I think I was writing about just general, like you know, cultivating friendships and interrelationships and your relationship with yourself. Um, by just general character development first, because mm-hmm. even six years ago, there, I feel like, especially on the male side of the industry, there was still pretty strong remnants around, um, you know, game manipulation, yeah. seduction. Like even the fact that that word was like, you know, th- there was like a seduction syndicate, and like that it was like it wasn't dating relationships as much as a- attracting the prey. Yeah, exactly. Type of vocabulary. So, yeah. You know, and because there was some very mild through lines of that in where the business that I cut ties with was going, I was like, okay, if that's still, like, what content do I put out that not just erodes or, like, undoes some of the damage that that information has put out there? Yeah. But what content can I put out to erode the part of people's psyches that is having them seek that out and resonate with it in the first place. Yeah. To me, that's a matter. It's like, okay, if all of this, if self-development is a mask or a band-aid for self-rejection, what is the tone of that self-rejection? How do I find that and Address put a bomb in that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so interesting. But yeah, you would have had to be ruminating on that for like years to just start pumping out three books on it. Oh, absolutely. In a year. <laughs> yeah, and I, I hadn't done any writing with that company. It was all just face-to-face, like coaching, one-on-one, and small group coaching. Um, so yeah, there was there wasn't as much creativity there. And with the you know hundreds of books in the backlog yeah. of my brain, yeah, I You're just shot like, oh, this shit needs to come out. <laughs> Seriously, I, yeah, I was on fucking fire for the first <laughs> two years, two and a half years of writing. I just like, yeah, it yeah. poured out of me. And there was like a slowdown period and I had a mini identity crisis of like, oh, am I not a writer anymore? <laughs> my fellow friends were just like, I think you've just caught up. <laughs> like you just, you had the backlog to purge. Yeah, now you and just now have to read. real time. <laughs> exactly. Now like you're writing about your real time process because you've touched on all the major points that you wanted to in your first couple hundred posts and now yeah. you get to be more slow and methodical. It's so funny. Like that actually resonates with me because like I knew I I knew some of the stuff that was like hot to come out. It just came out really naturally. And there's the stuff in the middle. I was just like, fuck. And when it mm. caught up to real time, then I have another problem is that I actually like I write memoirs. So I actually have to leave some time 
for some of the other people in the story right. to not be recognized. So I can write it, but I can't do anything with it for a little bit of time, yeah, there's which that, like, is like super phase. weird lag of just like, I want to tell you about everything right now, and I can't. Or or I really don't want to, and then I'm hiding. Right. <laughs> That's a different story. Yeah. It's a <laughs> fine line to walk, that's for sure. Uh, how long did you stay in Asia for then? I was there for three and a half months. And then my like reward to myself was I then went lived in Paris for a month after that. Nice. Um, because, yeah, I went to Thailand two months, Bali for a month and a half. And that was just my goal. My goal was by the end of two or three months... I would have enough revenue coming in from whatever I made that it would be paying for itself and I wouldn't be traveling off of savings. And then because I knew Paris would be astronomically more expensive than where I was staying in Thailand or Bali. Yeah. Um, yeah, I went there for a month and it was beautiful and I miss it and I'll probably go back. Paris is awesome. Oh. I was just there last year. It's so beautiful. It's so nice. So romantic. Is it though? I don't yes. know. For me, it really isn't. For I me, the architecture is romantic. Yeah. Like, it's not an interpersonal thing. It's like just, just this, the energy the of the city itself. Yeah, I don't it's know. something with that much history. Like when I see buildings that are 500 plus years old, I'm like, yeah. how many people have loved in and around these buildings and like what stories have taken place around the maze of what is around us? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I grew up in Europe. So like that was just right. my, my setting. Right. Um, I grew up in Vancouver where like, the <laughs> oldest thing is like that McDonald's is 60 years old. Yeah. yeah. Or the Marine Building. Like you have like a couple <laughs> buildings that are sure. old. Um, but not even not that by European standards. No. no. And so it's funny because for me, Paris is more like heartache. Mm. Like Paris is like the city of loss. Like if you look in literature, it's never really like happy stuff. Right. So <laughs> as much as you like, oh, whenever it's North America, they're like so romantic. Paris, I'm like dog poop and Parisians. Have you guys been there? Like, this is not that romantic. Mm. But I can see the, <laughs> the, appeal. the appeal to a foreigner. <laughs> yeah. But uh, cool. And then what after? What happens after Paris? After your heartbreaking leaving Paris. After Paris, <laughs> I went and stayed in Montreal for a few weeks with my brother. But yeah, came back to Vancouver, you know, the opposite of tail between my legs. I was like, I did it. My parents had been depositing my Amazon checks yeah. for me. Like, you know, it was, yeah, it was a triumphant return of like, cool. I have some baseline of early momentum. And for me, yeah, I definitely have that. If I can make one dollar online, I can make a million dollars online. Just yeah. like, for me, proving that concept of like, okay, the internet isn't a pyramid scheme, something can no, happen yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, coming back with revenue and momentum, I was just like, cool, this is my life now forever. And haven't stopped since. And, you know, could stop in 20 years or pivot or something, but I don't know, I, I can't imagine, yeah, a life without creativity and without some. Interpersonal, interpersonal development. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like clients and meets. You know, when you're on the path, it gets narrower, not wider. Yeah. You can't really go backwards no. after a certain point. Like, well, here's my dharma. This is yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how do you how do you get your clients now? How do you choose your clients now? Because I'm assuming you have to pick and choose now because you only have a limited yeah, amount well, of human time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, my ideal set up right now and it's been this way for a couple of years as is 80% of my calendar I do best when 80% of my calendar is spaciousness just like very nothing is scheduled so that I can use that time to create because yeah. when, when I have nothing my mind just auto fills that vacuum with okay well all right, yeah, yeah. I'll write a video um, coaching wise so yeah that's 
maybe 10% of my time, my working hours. And the main filtering process that I have for that is, and I've always had this from day one, remember one of my business mentors said this thing of, he said, run your business like a university, not like McDonald's. It's like, it's, you know, there should be some barriers to entry. Yeah. If you are someone who does one-to-one work. If your business, if the person is listening, if your business is just a product, guess what? Yeah. Products can scale, that's a business. Yeah. Uh, if your business is service-based, that's not a business. That's yeah. a job. Yeah. Um, but there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to provide services, then amazing. Yeah. Go that's that's what you should do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the first major barrier to entry is my price. My first hour is a thousand dollars US, so most people just can't afford that. And Holy I, shit! And that's intentional. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, with that, it's like uh, there's that high barrier to entry, and there's also I have the one to many. Like I've got over a million readers a month. I've had yeah. that for over two years, and so in that, even if literally point zero 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 one percent want your time and attention, that's still a decent chunk of people. When it's a million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Size. yeah. So, yeah, I still get a couple uh, clients through that per month, which I'm currently on the fence about, like, raising my prices again because I don't want a couple per month. I want, like, you know, at this rate, a couple per quarter, a couple per year. Because <clears throat> so, how much time do you spend with a client? Like, how like how do you structure that? So, yeah, the first hour is 1,000, and then ones past that are obviously less. So, like, there is long-term yeah. coaching for people that, I love working with and that the, you know, mutual benefits clear. There's, you know, I think that's an identical question to someone asking an RMT, like, oh, how many sessions do people need? It's like, well, some people want one relaxation massage. Some people have some, like, some deeply fucked up fascia that needs to be worked out over the course of a couple months. So, you know, I feel like there is, you know, kind of mainly two camps where, the majority of people that I work with, I like having the needle move efficiently. So, like, I love doing one or two sessions with someone total forever. Yeah. And then being like, cool, I understand, great, which is also why I use the word coach because coach even has that kind of, like, mm-hmm. given a strategy. Like, and yeah. Especially on most of my male clients and especially around the topics of sexual dysfunction, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for, okay, Advice, so tips. this has happened what is the thing that I, that I do to have this not happen? I go, this. And they go, that makes sense. Thank you. And then they go, <laughs> they integrate, and they're good. Yeah. Uh, and there are, so I'd say the bulk by volume, most clients only need one or two sessions total. Um, and then there definitely are clients that are comparatively, you know, somewhat outliers who might need one to two years of intermittent work. Yeah. Uh, not unlike someone going to see an in-person therapist. Yeah. Like, you go for a patch for three months and you're like, cool, I'm going to, I, I yeah. have new tools. I'm going to use this and see how I feel. And then that person either does come back four months later or doesn't come back because yeah. they're happy. Like, yeah, you don't know. so there's, yeah, there isn't a super, it's hard to see what an average number is because people's needs are so different. Yeah. But I aim for, like, my aim is always to have someone be as extremely non-dependent on me as possible. Like, I, yeah, yeah. Because I value my time and I value their growth. I'm just like, how do we get you to not needing me ever again as soon as possible? Uh, which is, yeah, also why I think that a lot of people that underprice themselves are doing a disservice to their clients. Yeah, because, because then they need to keep... Yeah, they need to keep tapping into the, you know, the energy source, into the... It, it's that kind of 
you know, personal brand guru model where the prize is the person's time. I think that's totally ass backwards. That's yeah. like, to me, that's, it's such a, you know, codependent <laughs> shitty model. It of is. Like, like you from day one are you shouldn't at need, odds. I shouldn't want you to need me. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Whether it's a personal trainer or a therapist, if one person's goal is to be independent and have the tools and be good as quickly as possible, and the other person, because they've, you know, underpriced themselves or have weird self-esteem shit, are just like, they want the person to feel dependent yeah. on them because that's their childhood wound of like, you know, they were mommy or daddy's like good little helper and so they feel needed and valuable when someone wants their time. It's like, do your fucking work yeah. and then... And then maybe you'll restructure. Let the person <laughs> move on with their lives and not need you. Like, yeah. So if you coach that little in terms of time, yep. where do you get your ideas for your writing? Like, is it always like your own personal shit that kind of not spurs always. it? or Because um, you write on a variety of topics. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, similar thought with that. It's like, <laughs> where, where does any musician get their inspiration? I think any, any artist gets their inspiration from everything. Yeah. So some of them like, Articles come from conversations with my best friends. Some of them come from the women I'm dating. Some of them come from my experiences at sex parties. Some yeah. of them come from conversations I have with clients. Like, yeah, I, again, you know, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to feel dependent on the majority of my ideas coming from client sessions because no. then that would encourage me to yeah. arbitrarily drum up more client sessions. Um, so I don't know, everything. Like, earlier days, yeah, more... I sourced inspiration from the backlog of, of books that were in my head and just experiences that I had. But yeah, I feel like now it's predominantly just personal experience. Whereas I've kind of slid the fader from less that in my early years of writing to now almost exclusively that. Yeah. Where I write so selfishly. Like I'm truly, the audience is only me. And the fact that other people happen to benefit from my writing is That's a, a bonus. tangential benefit. Yeah. It's a bonus. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to think of like that makes more sense to me than the other way around, you know. But like, I had to I had to ask because like, sometimes I'm like, sometimes you go through phases where stuff isn't happening to you, so you kind of do you? <laughs> I do. Well, it is. What do you mean by or, stuff? Or, I mean, I have questions, but very little. Like very little. It's like the same question that repeats itself. So right. I, like, you see what I mean? Right. Like it would no just new stuff themes. is happening, but yeah. it's not like. Nothing new is like, ooh, what about this big burning question? Can I look into that? So, right. um, yeah, that's why I was curious. Is there, like, considering that information then, is there some side effect of your writing that you didn't see coming? Like, either personally when you write it down how you feel after or, like, through the feedback of people reading you, is there something that you just didn't see coming that kind of, like, side blinded <laughs> you? Blindsided you, that's the word. Not really. And not because I was like such a genius that I proactively like I knew all Shut this would happen. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> but more I don't know. I think that for any part of me that considers myself a good writer, I think like I, I know that I'm not a good technical writer. People tell me all the time that like I'm breaking all the punctuation rules and there's typos and like, I'm aware of it. I've never used a proofreader and I just don't give a shit. Like for me, that's... <laughs> that doesn't matter. Know. People can still understand what you're trying to say. Exactly. Like I, I would only consider myself any fraction of a good writer because I feel like I just understand people and I know how to make people feel things. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'm not that surprised by any of the feedback that I've gotten because I 
I have a sense of how people can be. So like the closest thing to an answer that I thought maybe this would be, there have definitely been times where I've seen just truly vicious feedback to some of my writing that, you know, was just about the person hurting. Yeah. But like there's sometimes where I was like, damn, this person like really fucking hates me. That's crazy. When I, when I perceive my writing and, you know, my general putting stuff out there as quite like loving and encouraging and, you know, positive. And so to have, see, to see some people spewing such intense vitriol in response to some of the most loving things I've ever written, because that part's amazed me at times where I'm like, (laughs) damn, there's some pain in the world. Oh, yeah. Uh, Which, again, I was aware of that, but yeah, I guess. You just like clapped you in the face. That my writing would attract those, you know, that I would like discover entire like forum threads about how because I as a male encourage males to feel their emotions that I'm like, that I'm... You're a traitor? That I'm pussifying men or that I'm like ruining (gasps) relationships. No way. Like just... Yeah, like I've oh, had... Oh, toxic masculinity is so goddamn powerful. I've had, yeah, like there's... Yeah, I'm not sure if you've heard like <laughs> MGTOW or MRAs, but there's like, just like, there's feminism, there's, yeah. then there's radical feminists, there's, I don't know... Radical meninists. males, and then there's, <laughs> yeah, like there's, there's certain threads of MRAs and MGTOWs that are, that I perceive as just having a really significant wounding with the feminine that they don't want to face into. Yeah. And so anyone who encourages them to integrate their feminine energy, they see as a threat to themselves and to mankind. Men. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I get the most pushback from, which is why I keep doing it. Whenever I post yeah. a of myself crying, men are like, the some, fuck dude. <laughs> 70% of people are like jazzed 30%. Yeah, fucking hate it. And those are just people that are in rejection of those same parts of themselves. And I get that. But oh yeah, gosh. seeing the intensity of it, I think that's been the only part that I'm like, damn, that's that's something. That is. See, I like, I tend to, um, I think mostly because I'm a woman, I tend to have like the opposite feedback to some of like the harsh parts in my book where like, because I don't really show that as, as sort of day-to-day as you. It's like one product. I do on, on my social media, mm-hmm. but... Um, like some of the like bad dark sides of the book, like people were like, it was like a praise. It was like, oh, you're so courageous to put that out there versus you are getting like shamed for doing it. Right. And I'm like, what do you mean courageous? Like we're all going through this shit. It's like fucking grief. Like we all, you know, like right. it's like a human com- common denominator. Yeah. Why is it courageous for me and um, shameful for you? Like the, and, and backwards for many other topics, you know? Yep. I'm like, what? Yeah. And to me, that's, I see it as like the biggest benefit of social media, of the information age is just like, I think all shame is going to reach a point where it's, you know, not eradicated, but like, Obsolete. so, yeah, like just so much, it's getting chipped away at so fucking rapidly because these conversations can't not be had. And so yeah. when some, you know, when Tim Ferriss talks about his suicide attempt in a book or in a blog post or on his podcast and he has you know hundreds of millions of followers like that moves the needle and the more that literally thousands of thought leaders you know just humans in the world doing the work i mean thought leaders even like 
Anyone. Grandma Jean, who has 70 Facebook friends. Like, just anyone doing their stuff, which has never been more doable. You know, it still takes courage to deploy and et cetera. But we never had the tools be this accessible. Yeah. Like, you know, freeing the nipple is going to be the least of our fucking worries. Totally. (laughs) No, and it's funny because, like, we're recording this the day after my book anniversary. And, like, at the table, there is... um, one woman who I admire who runs a page called So I Had an Abortion, who was on the podcast, who's like um, another one who has a podcast called Uncomfortable about all kinds of uncomfortable topics. And like within five minutes of her sitting down on the table, we're talking about fisting. And then a uh, tantric uh, practitioner who's also like licensed to teach others to become tantric practitioners. And uh, who else was at the table? I don't know. A bunch of really fascinating people just showed up. And like the four minutes of this podcast, we're talking about cock right away. Yeah. It was like this. And I was just like, it is, and like no, no one at the table, like including the people around the people I just named, care that the server came at the time that, you know, there wasn't one yeah. moment where someone who wasn't involved in the conversation was like, you guys are talking about anal fisting like really loudly in a restaurant. Like we were all like, yeah. We're humans. So <laughs> yeah. let's, ha- like, you know, it was yeah. just a very, and I think like you said, it's like inevitable. We just. And so when you get this those reminders happening. of someone being like, whoa, it's so courageous of you to talk about having grieved to death. You're like. Uh, you know, being a human. Yeah, like, why? This becomes less and less of an issue as these conversations are so being had. Yeah, they are. But, again, they are because we are kind of in a bubble as well. Oh, 100%. <laughs> totally. You know? And this is why you see the comments and they're like, yeah. what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, I definitely, you know, especially early days when I saw some of those haters and, like, yeah, for me, it was easy to just, like, hide behind some of my ego mechanisms and be like, whatever, this is just, like, some fucking loser who lives in their mom's basement who's, like, jerking off into his own shirt and, like, yeah. doesn't have a job and just, like, needs the shit on someone <laughs> on the internet to feel like he's doing something, you know, just to, like, alleviate yeah. his own shame and, 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 yeah, kind of pay it forward in the negative sense. And, yeah, I absolutely live in, live in a bubble and, like, <laughs> The shame is being so alleviated on like this kind of micro level. Yeah. And I also a thousand percent believe that, you know, the the emotional ease that our offspring's offspring, you know, can live in the world of is hinging on the honest shame alleviation and shadow work that modern humans are doing. Like the more we lean into these growth edges and normalize all of it, you know. What goes down? Yeah. Suicide attempts, shame, depression, anxiety, uh, rape, spousal Violence, abuse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm totally like leapfrogging to a topic without any segue. Go for but it. But how have your relationships changed since you do this? Do you find that it's helping your relationships or hindering them now? Hmm. I mean, definitely helping, but I'm, I'm thinking of, yeah, like, it's like a somewhat similar question. A lot of people will ask me like, so do you like walk your own talk as if I could like, no, that's such a, it's such a fucking weird. You're topic. like, no, I'm just going to enact all my toxic shit yeah. that I've like. I'm a, I'm a thousand percent integrity all the time. I haven't slept in years because how could I? And, I mean, yeah, like, it's, it's more of a true statement to say that. Yeah, I mean, that my content comes from, like, I am a way, I do a thing. 
one of my friends or like a girlfriend will like reflect back to me, hey, you do this thing. And I go, oh, do I? Okay, cool. I get to write about that. Like it's, you know, the chicken and the egg. Like, But do you find that it's like hindering it in some ways? Like do you find that people are like uh, either reluctant to dating you because that's what you do or like careful, careful about what they do that you mm. might like interpret things or? No. No? <clears throat> I mean, I've definitely, I've had, I've had to. I've chosen to like preface getting into relationships with like, you know, early dating process when there's potential a Bruin yeah. and like, okay, there's a thing here. I have explicitly asked, you know, potential girlfriends, like I, I'm going to say I am my art. I don't identify as my art, No, but, but like yeah. my work is part and my parcel life, to yeah. who I am and, you know, say we're in a long-term relationship years down the road, like how comfortable would you feel with me? Um, you know, even vaguely describing aspects of things that have been coming up between us in my writing. Yeah. Because heads up, that's inevitable. Yeah. And so I do like have that check-in and I've had different partners who are different levels of like comfort. Yeah. Comfort, privacy, etc. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's also something we said about how I think that being self-employed or being a writer or being an artist or being in an intimate relationship, to me, these are some of the biggest 24-7 mirrors that you can't avoid. No, yeah. So, I mean, it's hard to delineate, like, oh, which one influences the other. I am the way that I am yeah. in my art and in my business and in my relationships because, you know, I have fragments of that wounded healer thing. Like, mm -hmm. I got into relationships because I had wounding with relationships. So, like, every teacher teaches what they most want to yeah, know. Yeah, to know. I will frequently, I'll be on a coaching call with like an ideal client and think to myself like real time as I'm saying it, I'm like the words I'm giving to this person is I me, didn't know I was going to say them. <laughs> or just, not just channeling it, but like this is exactly what I would have told myself three years ago or yeah. an exact reminder that I need to be telling myself right now. Yeah. Like it's, you know, the whole thing is a feedback loop. Yeah. And so, yeah, I can't. I can't be lazy about my own work at any point in time, A, in order to be able to hold space for others in their own stuff, but also because if I don't and I just get like stuck in a spiral of my own shit, <laughs> so, then yeah, I can't then create. No, and yeah. if, if I'm not creating, I'm not happy. So yeah, it, it behooves me to stay on my hustle, like shit. on my shadow work hustle. <laughs> um, how do you feel about privacy? Because that came up, like, from um, from you were saying, like, uh, other partners with other levels of privacy. Because you put a lot of your life out there, like, on social yeah. media and stuff. Like, how do you feel about retaining, I would say, with my own words and my own prejudice, retaining the illusion of privacy? Because I think privacy is dead, in my own personal experience. Yeah. Um, but how do you feel about that work? Um, and I'm sure it, like, comes up with other people and, and the coaching things. Like, that's a question that sort of resonates in my head, so it's a selfish question. Mm -hmm. Of just, like, do you think that that there should be spaces left um, of your own or that it really doesn't make a difference, which tend to be what I think. Yeah, I mean, definitely preaching to the choir, I'm closer to the latter mindset than an alternative. I, yeah, and same thing when people like tell me that I'm courageous for like sharing about my suicide attempt or my depressive episodes or integrating my emotions and photos of myself crying or photos of myself like that are quite sexual or details about my genitalia. Like if you go through my 600 articles, my entire fucking life is out there. Like my childhood wounding is there. It's all, I don't hold back. Yeah. Um, I've even had some of my closest friends like learn 
vulnerable things about, things about me through my writing or through my videos. They're like, yeah. damn, is that true? I'm like, well, yeah, I put it on the internet so it's true. But they're like, I don't know that. I'm like, I don't know. I don't like it didn't come with up, it. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't feel... I mean, I'm sure it was in the first year when it was new and I was more plugged into people's perceptions of it mm-hmm. or, or their approval. But, yeah, I don't... I don't think about privacy that much. And, no, right? Um, I only think, well... Parents? I think about it in client confidentiality. Like, obviously... Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I don't... I never share identifying information. If I do share a theme that came up with a client, I'll, like, check with them and not use their name or location. Yeah. Like, sure. Other people's Basically. privacy, I respect That's that. That's others' people, yeah. But, yeah, me, like... When people are like, oh, look, you write such vulnerable stuff. Why don't you ever write, write under, like, a pen name? I was like... Because it's a fucking joke, and if yeah. you write under a pen name, then I, I wrote under a pen name because Not of your... the other people in it. Right. I wrote a yeah because legally I'm because mine says it's memoir. It's not like this thing that happened once. It's like literally time right. frame. It's not like, like fictionalized. I, no, it's so I had to because they could sue me for pri- totally. for, for invasion <laughs> of privacy. <laughs> yeah. Funnily enough. And I'm in like you know direct nonfiction self. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, self-help is, is an entire... Yeah, why would you write that under a pen name? It's been suggested so many times. And I'm really? Like, and even with that, I'm like, again, with the privacy is dead thing, I think that every... Especially, you know, when your stuff makes it, the internet exists and they'll find they'll your real name. They'll figure out who I am, The most yeah. famous... You can find, like, you know, the most famous porn stars in the world. You can find all their identifying information. Yeah. You know, people will just... They will. Know. But this is the thing, like, this is a legality thing that I had to do to protect myself. Right. But I to don't care. My libel. face is everywhere. If you know... Who, not libel as if it's wrong. They can, like, they can sue me for libel if I said something that isn't true. Right. They can... Right. Only, but, but if it is... If they want to sue me for something that is true, it has to be, like, invasion of privacy. So, like, if I'm saying that they're doing drugs or if right. I'm... Like, it has to be something right. that... And naming them. them directly. And right. naming them directly. Right. Which isn't what I do. I don't know. There's not that much criminal shit in my book anyway. But uh, in the long run, like, it's my face. My parents know it's me. Yeah. It's me. You don't pull back on social media. You're out there. No. Like, yeah. Like, I live here. But basically, people could know my address if they wanted to. Like, they wanted to piece it together. Um, (laughs) All of that shit. But anyway, digressing. Um, What's Privacy is dead. Yeah. Privacy is dead. I mean, please feel free. If someone wants to, like, debate this, like, come and talk to me about it. Because I feel like I'm preaching to the choir a lot with this shit. And I want to kind of see someone else's perspective. That would be an interesting conversation. Even if, yeah, people could definitely argue that it isn't 100% dead yet. But, like, I feel like it's, again, maybe this this bubble thing. Yeah. It's close enough, slash, we'll be there in such a short amount of time that I'm like, whatever. I'm not going to fucking resist the tides. I'm just going to embrace it and, like... There's an XKCD comic about exactly this where one person's like, oh, you know, like the stick figure mm-hmm. drawing. And yeah, character A goes up to character B who's at the computer and they're like, oh, I saw you, you know, putting out, I don't know, intent or vulnerable or really real stuff. Don't you worry about how some future employer is going to take this. And the character B goes on this like beautiful, just flawlessly articulated rant about how... They're not going to live their entire lives for fear of some potential future outcome that may or may not ever happen <laughs> and essentially, you know, mute their essence to like placate to a world that, you know, probably won't even exist in the first place. And if it does, then cool, I'll live my fucking life. So. Yeah. I know. It's, it's so strange. Like, 
I keep seeing these like memes every now and then on the internet that are like, oh, not everyone deserves to know everything about you. And I'm like, I'm not a fucking prize. I'm just a human. Like, I mean, that's, yeah, who big, gives that's, a fuck? That's a big point that Brene Brown leans on. Quite yeah. A bit. That's, you know, I think she's done a huge service to the world. She and, like, has. Shame and vulnerability search, researcher and like exactly her to be that person. Phenomenal. I mm-hmm. love her. Some great things. Yeah. And yeah, that I'm like, I get it. You know, there is something to be said about timing and you don't blast your wound story to the person you're standing next to at the crosswalk. <laughs> like, sure, it's yeah. not always appropriate to given the timing of the moment. And yeah, I more lean towards radical honesty with all humans than the opposite of like, oh, only three people get to know my truth. It's like, well, that's pretty, that's boring. It, 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 and further than boring, like, why? What's the reasoning? Right. Like, and how, how does that help others and how does that help you? Like, is my questioning, you know? Like, I just really don't get it. I'm not opposed to, like, trying to understand it. I've just never come across someone who explains it in a way that would make sense to me. Yeah. Again, yeah, I tie that, <laughs> that back to timing because, sure, when, yes. when you owning your truth is in its infancy and it's still on shaky and ground. And your shaky ground, yes, because exactly. you're still owning it, then great. I think that having, you know, just your therapist and just your best friend know yeah. about it is valuable for a while. Yes. And the, for me, the litmus test of how integrated is this thing is, I think it was Gay and Katie Hendricks had this quote in one of their books about how if there's something about yourself that you can't say into a microphone in front of 20,000 people, it has power over you. Yeah. Like, that's fucking beautiful. Yeah. And like, I believe in that. And again, that's not a thing that you get to overnight. It's a process. No, it's so much but work. I feel like that should be the aim. Is yeah. Like, Whatever your wound story is, whether it takes you until your 40s or 70s, that like that we all hopefully get to a place where we can. Yeah. There's nothing that like can be found out about us because we're just like I've it's, accepted. I, I all gave of it my to shit. you. Yeah, exactly. Last night we were talking about there was a friend of a friend at the event and uh, she was like, "Tell me about your book," and I'm like, "Oh, it's <laughs> like you know." This is one thing that I've been talking about forever and ever. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's my memoir, blah, 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 blah. And then um, she's like, what's like a juicy bit? Or like, what's like, because right. I'm, I, I think I might have said something like, oh, it's actually pretty vanilla, like considering my current, like if people meet me now, hmm. the book has like a backlog. Like it's yeah. not exactly who I am today. So they might she be surprised. basically like, like, tell me about a page that could have made me cry. Like that's like, she wants yeah, like, yeah, like, she wanted like a little thing. She wanted and, some truth. and I was like, well, um, I don't know. I was like, I had my first orgasm at 24 and she was like, Oh, and I was like, not for lack of trying, not one of like, I had seven sex toys, <laughs> spent my days trying. Like it is not one of those like stories that you've heard where like, Oh my God, they bought a Viber and, and they finally had an orgasm. I'm like, no, no, not that story. It was hard. The other story, the brain story that we don't talk about because fuck, you know, it's easier to talk about medical issues than it is to talk about mental health. Um, but uh, but anyway, so I had that conversation and it just came out of my mouth with like twenty people around me, and then I realized like four years ago or three years ago that could have never happen. Like I would have never just like said that at a restaurant right. in terms of your that easily with a stranger. Yeah. 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 Because I just hadn't processed all that shit yet to the level where I was like, oh, yeah, this is a thing. And I now know the stats, the things, the read the books, the blah, blah, blah. can yeah. tell you much more about it without it pretending just to my masturbation history, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, and being like, oh, we're talking about this now within the five seconds of having met each other. I'm like, okay. Because that's where it is in you. That's how accepted it is. Yeah. And 
so I, every day you get these little reminders of that mm -hmm. process. It's just like, it's not one day you stand up and you, you say that shit. No. <laughs> it's just yeah, like. It's a multi-year process of ownership and integration. Ownership and integration. I like that. It's a good term. <laughs> came out of nowhere. <laughs> Probably not nowhere. Probably like a lot of places. Came from me doing my last three years of work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, just like descended today. Never used it before. <laughs> yeah. First time. Um, what else was I going to ask you? Um, I don't know. What's, uh, what's on your mind lately? Hmm. <laughs> Biggest things that have been in my mind are <clears throat> uh, the men in my men's group. I run a weekly men's group on Tuesday nights for Ooh. three hours, and I've really like, yeah, recently been kind of doubling down my commitment with them further. Like I'm already more than two years deep in it. I love it. I have passion for it. But yeah, I've been putting more commitment in, into that recently. What's the premise of the men's group? What do you premise? Is like it? what's the? What do we do? Yeah. Yeah, we meet up three hours, seven to ten, every Tuesday night, and it's basically just a container of, so it's the same men, like it's not a revolving door, yeah. it's, so part of the commitment, or part of the container is strengthening your commitment to your commitments, so it's, you know, basically no matter what, like you show up there, and there have been guys who, you know, except for being sick once or twice, or like going on maybe like vacation. a short vacation, yeah. like, you know, we've been there 25 months consecutively without missing a single night. And so you really get to know people in any kind of group work, even the group work, whether it's like yeah. you know, active Jungian shadow work or just 15 guys sitting in a room bringing their honest truth about everything in their lives week in, week out. You get to know each other pretty yeah. fucking deeply. Um, so yeah, there's no specific context of like what's acceptable and what's not, other than what's acceptable is whatever is on your mind. So we talk about relationships, our relationship to our careers, uh, mental health, you know, our how connected we are to our bodies week to week. We talk about integrity. You know, we had like a so this men's group is one of fourteen in this larger community in Vancouver called mm -hmm. the Samurai Brotherhood, mm -hmm. and there was once like kind of around the epicenter of the Me Too movement. Yeah. Really blowing up. We had a community-wide, so just over 200 people, 200 men, gathering in one room and, like, one microphone and basically just, like, had an open discussion about that. Yeah. And just, you know, really beautiful, intentional shit, guys supporting and seeing each other. Yeah, we actually talked about this in one of my very early episodes with a guy friend of mine who's an actor, and it was right around the time that Me Too came out, and he was like... <clears throat> I know with women, I know what to do. I know it's my time to shut up and listen. But, like, how do I help the guys? How do I help the men in my life be better allies and be better in this, like, climate? And so he was just like, I really wish there was a men's group, blah, blah, blah. So we, it's very nice There's to many. see that there was here. <laughs> yep. Cool. And then, so do you just participate or do you help run them? Both. Okay. Yeah, I... So our group is called Elephant Squad. I've got the oh my gosh, elephant your tattoo elephant tattoo on my leg. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm the squad leader for our group, and I'm also a member. It's similar to, you know, a hockey captain is they have the see on their yeah. thing, but they're also on the ice with the players. Like you're in it, you're also somewhat facilitating. Um, so both, yeah. That's epic. I, I love that. Yeah. 
Yeah, because socially we have so many more spaces to be open and vulnerable as women than men do. Like, spaces, yeah. Yes. And also just, I think it's less stigmatized. There's more resistance and barriers that men have to overcome to... Yeah. And women have their own equivalent of like trusting other women and non-competitiveness and different stuff like that. But men have the exact same thing in spades on their own side. Of, yeah. You know, it's it's not uncommon for new men who join one of the groups who, you know, within the first month or two, you know, one of their shares will be like, I have to be honest, I don't really know what we're doing here. Like yeah. Most men, a lot of don't men, know. They're, they're so used, like they only spend time with other men if you're very doing a thing. So like yeah. playing <laughs> poker or playing sports or watching doing sports. Doing an activity. Or you're, you know, really there for women. Like you're not as in like an ally, but like to pick up. Yeah. Or fuck some new people. Yeah. So yeah, when a guy's just like in a room full of only men and we're just like talking about our lives and, you know, holding each other accountable and holding our feet to the fire and stuff like that. Yeah. Some guys will be like, what are we doing here? <laughs> and you know, more often than not, those men just have some unhealed father wound because they don't trust men yet, which is fine. You, you know, they come to you in a matter of months. Yeah. I've just, you know, that slow cooking process of being in the room and being like, okay, there is some benefit to be had just spending time with men and just being known by other men. And to me, that's the greatest, you know, healthy antithesis to what I think can often especially be a very a more male problem as far as I see it. Yeah. As this like hyper lone wolf mentality. Of, totally. You have to do life on your own. You have to bear as much responsibility and burden as possible. Tell no one about your feelings, emotions, or struggles. And no shit, we kill ourselves at four times the rate of women. Yeah. Not, not in attempts, but in like, you know, successful or like incomplete. Quote unquote, yeah. Complete. Um, yeah, taking their own lives. It's like, yeah, no shit. You just have years of unprocessed stuff that you let no one into. Yeah. Whereas they, you know, whether by nature or nurture, probably both. Um, no, like women we, just do have more verbal support. We do, um, and have closeness. And we're pushed and to do it. Like we're like women. That's what women do. They get together and they talk and like yeah. are. You know, we even. Sorry, guys. I'm pouring a glass of water. Um, even if um, it's not necessarily the the healthiest of relationships, like we, you can go to a total stranger in a woman's bathroom and like pour your heart out, and she'll be like, "Yeah, that, that's right. okay." Um, still support. It's still support. Whereas I've had so many male friendships in my life where literally was the only person they could speak to. Yeah. And I was like, that's not okay. Like I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that I am here for you, but totally. that is not enough. I wish you had somewhat of a Where, network of support. Yeah. Like I'm I happy to be your be only th table leg. That's not very stable. No. And also like, first of all, not very stable because of my own shit at the time. Or secondly, not very stable because I only have my limited experiences, which is not the same as yours. Yeah. It is entirely different. I can't help you as well with dating because my experience of online dating is extremely different from your experience it's with online woman. dating. Yeah. As a woman, my complaints have nothing to do with yours. Very different. They're opposite sides yeah. of the spectrum. Cute female, 100 matches. <laughs> Any male. No. <laughs> 10 matches. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> I literally had this conversation with my partner this morning because I was I'm going on this like long trip to for work, and I was like, oh, I'm concerned. Like, do you, like should we to make more time for like people like dating people outside of each other? Like, da da da. da. And he's like, I'm just like sick of it. And I was like, well, like you're 
don't want you to be bored or like when I'm gone or, you know, it's just kind of like, am I taking up too much of your time right now when you could be setting up these things? And he was like, you don't understand. <laughs> he was like, you don't understand the level of like emotional labor that it takes to online date as a man. You don't get it. And I was like, no, I don't at all. Yeah. You're so correct. Please teach me. Yeah. Like, yeah. Again, especially attractive female bias can just, there is this sense of like, there's dick on tap. If I just like, oh, I totally. Can just, I can go, cool. I want the influx to happen again. It's, you know, I remember one coach saying this thing that was like, how do you word it? He's like, any night that a woman doesn't have sex is just a night that she's chosen to not have sex. <laughs> exactly. like, like, not tonight. Like, either with their monogamous partner or if they're single and like, yeah. they could date me. Like, yeah. Hey, one of my orbiters, he wants to fuck me. You fuck me tonight. Yeah. Like, it's, it's an option. It's much more easily accessible of an option. Absolutely. And again, reeling back to the context we first met in, you know, me being a single male invited to a sex party, like, I'm very aware that I'm the least valuable asset that could be invited to a sex party. Even as an emotionally literate, sexually aware, kind, consent-loving dude, yeah. it's, it's not the same as a solo female, like, you know, a straight woman, a bisexual no, woman, No, but this should be especially then an honor that you would be invited no, as a totally. single male. No, 100% was. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, in comparing the male-to-female sure. dating process. No, like, and it's really true. It, it, it's really funny because I was talking to another, this is one of my, like, guy friendships that only, like, has me to talk to. <laughs> He was like, I really want to start going to sex parties and like, da da da. And I was like, oh, I kind of have to get a girl. <laughs> like in my head, I was just like, totally. this is so much harder for dudes. I just like show up and like I don't even have to think about what I'm what, gonna wear. I'm just put on one of my laundry like things and I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. It's like so much more stressful for a dude to to even like you said, even if you're emotionally literate, content literate, like healthy, happy, yeah. You're less... remotely attractive, whatever, it's still, like, so many barriers to entry. Yeah, you're not worth as much in that context. Which is retarded. Because, like, why? Like, this whole system is, like, it, it just boggles my mind. I mean, on, like, the evolutionary biology level, yeah. because <laughs> women are the selectors. You, yeah. You invest more in the... Uh, birthing process and so yeah no shit like it, it should be that way yeah yeah i guess so it was just really funny for me because i like i was talking about i can't remember whom anyway i was considering like mmf because i've never had one mm-hmm. this was on my bucket list but i before putting too much thought into it was always like nope no thanks like just dp straight into my brain i was like not interested thank you very much my butt's my butt like personal preference right i like it the way it is right now Um, There are other things you could do for MMF, but yes. Yes, but that was where my brain, before putting thought into it, that's where my brain went because of porn. And and the more I thought about it, the more I was like, ooh, actually, like, two men pleasing me, yes, please, like, more now, thank you. Um, But but I always, I was talking about this with a guy who was more on the straight spectrum, and he was like, yeah... I had a threesome with, conversely, had a threesome with two women, and he was like, yeah, I just kind of, like, it wasn't really about me, and I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, no, you were just, I was just, like, the cock. Yeah, you're an accessory. <laughs> the tool. And I was like, oh, my God. And, like, it, these little tiny realizations of worth and, like, the internalized perception of what happens and where the 
pleasure is driven from because of lack of communication, lack of sexual education, reliance on porn to find out what the fuck happens in bedrooms, like all of that stuff, it just informs your existence, even if you're doing the work every day so actively. And <clears throat> how many female orgasms happen in that sex party versus oh. male? It's 100 to zero, you know, like no men came while I was there, at least like, and that's, it's not uncommon. Like that's men, true. Like you just, you are the cock. You are there to please or to like, yeah. to service the feminine, which in itself, you know, compersion is a real thing. That in itself is still pleasurable. And, and how much Viagra was consumed that night as well. Uh, zero by me, but I'm not no, sure. But, yeah, I'm no, sure. I'm telling you by the right. others for sure. Right. And it's just like so much pressure on the cock. I mean, it might not necessarily register as pressure because that in itself, like, you know, I think just like a world-class chef often does get yeah. just as much, if not more, pleasure from making an amazing meal and then seeing someone experience it yeah, it's versus true. them eating it themselves. I think that's the, that's the case for a lot of men who get to see the pleasure in their woman's body. Yeah. But like, that in itself is way more valuable yeah. than their... No, I think my favorite moment, like, that I'll retain from that evening, there are two, but but the number one was literally standing at the little veranda, having a cigarette, and just, like, watching. Yeah. Because there was so much going on, and I was just, like, and, like, my partner was there, and someone else was there, and you were in the corner, and I was just, like, this is pretty great. Yeah. But that, that's the, that's the moment that resonates. And then, you know, being buried in a pile of women was also pretty nice. But, um, (laughs) that's the number two memory. Mm -hmm. So it's not even like there's, but at the same time, I think also it was funny because I talked to a couple of the women who attended and they were also saying that it was almost too many people to orgasm. Like there was a lot of pleasure being had, Mm. but there was almost too much stimulus to actually let go. It was a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was like a lot of, of stuff. A lot happening. of bodies. Yeah. A lot of a lot of like I don't think I even like noticed everyone. I don't think I had time to register every person. Yeah, there was at least three or four people that I was like, I barely You were saw there? Them. Yeah. But, and those people also left earlier, so whatever. Yeah. It was fun. It was fun. I love how we're just like keep going back to this. It was a great night. <laughs> it was. Thank you guys for hosting it. I'm sure you'll be listening. Uh, <laughs> Um, what else was I going to say? So the men's group is your priority that you want to, one of the priorities that you want to that I've been excited about lately. Um, what else? Yeah. Because I mentioned before this episode in our chat that I just came off a big six week work push, which was very like creative intensive. And so this is also like a pendulum swing for me is I'll go like heavy creative and then I'll get heavy social, uh, heavy (laughs) social, no, like more social in terms of, like, coaching. That I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll want to go back into the interpersonal stuff of, like, cool. So, yeah, if, create, if you know, creating is the one-to-many, then one-to-one, I yeah. also between, like, I want to write 15 articles this month and then, like, one this month but do 15 sessions. So, yeah. right now, yeah, I just, I started working with three, soon to be four, but three new clients who are just, like, so ideal and exactly who I want to be working with. And yeah, I. Who is exactly who you want to be working with? It's. I mean, th- this won't what be. What do they look like? This won't or be like a, as a. Yeah, this won't be a timeless thing because I yeah. it does shift as I shift. But present day, my. Like, the idyllic client through lines are people that. I mean, these are all just like my neuroses exaggerated. So. <laughs> <laughs> as any client who's attracted to your brand would be. 
Um, <laughs> so getting into secretly my shit. The people I love working with are hyper-driven, perfectionistic, just like too ambitious for their own good. Um, what else? They're and what, and what stopped them? What's their issues? Is it all like... Do you find that it's all m mostly like mental? Like they're... Yeah, I mean, what isn't? Well, that's true. It's always our mind. That's true. That's um, a stupid question. No, think no, about it. <laughs> yeah, it's... Yeah, really hard on themselves. They're usually artistic, self-employed. Um, they're increasingly some version of famous. Like I have a lot of... Um, yeah. So like increasingly self-aware, I guess, in a way as well? Sorry? Increasingly self-aware because of that as well? Usually. It depends. I feel like, yeah, whether you know, I work with entrepreneurs, artists, musicians, authors, there's I think two, one of two things can happen that I see. And there's like there's heavy self-selection bias in this because the clients that I work with are the ones that are attracted to my writing. So it's Absolutely. a feedback loop. But yeah, there's either people that have so buried their wounds or like are quite unself-aware and have made their living by themselves you know, by <laughs> no by by having buried their thing and like basically they're sprinting in, product, oh. in productivity from self-rejection you know like and then if you take that away the ground is no longer there and it's that much scarier yeah then i'm, I'm saying like hey Guess what? Fuck your identity. It might have been built on a <laughs> on a foundation of, you know, of lies and self rejection. Do you actually have passion for this thing that you're famous for, or is this just a Product you on a hamster wheel because you didn't want to face this difficult thing when you were five? Um, so some people are, yeah, I would say the starting point is quite unself aware, and they basically come to me when they're like, okay all of these symptomatic things are happening in my life that I can see. I know my intimate relationship is fucking with me. I, I know that it's hard for me to trust having friends. I know that it's hard for me to feel worthy or deserving of my success. I have no fucking clue what's messing me up, and I'm now ready to look into that. Yeah. And so then we dig into their stuff and go, cool, I'm sure there's a couple of things that were just really hard for your mind to process when it happened, so you buried it. We'll bring those things back up. We'll, you know, make sure that we can traverse it without, uh, you know, using those things as extra reasons to pile on guilt and shame and, oh, I fucked up in this extra way. Now I have more fodder to, you know, whip myself through. Yeah. And so that's one half and the other side is more, yeah, people that have made their thing their thing because they're very aware of themselves and the, for those people, it's more micro-adjustments. It's of, like pushing. We all have blind spots. We yeah. all have varying degrees of it. Whether the blind spot is, you know, your shadow is 98% of you and is running the show and you don't know it exists at all versus, you know, you've gotten very to aware that it's 95% of <laughs> yeah. your person. And, and you just can't unlock that little... Exactly. It's like, now what am I missing? I'm, I'm usually on this, but I'm reaching some block that I can't find. Yeah. So... Yeah, and I enjoy working with both those people. I like being able to move a lot of energy up front for people that, you know, are newer to this stuff. Mm -hmm. And on the other side of things, I, I tend more towards people that have done quite a good amount of self-work. Work. Like one of my clients who very fits in that category once said it as, so if you're a personal trainer, 
you don't get excited by helping an obese person lose five pounds or lose a hundred pounds. You get more excited to helping a the professional yeah. Ironman competitor shave off a minute off his runtime. Mm-hmm. I'm like, exactly. Like, I love, yeah. I love, I it keeps, those clients keep me sharper in a different way. Because they require you to push further. Because, because I really have done. to dig. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So I bring, you know, the first five layers of like, okay, like this, 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 this. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> what else you got? I'm like, okay, here we go. But yeah, I feel like a, like a detective on the case of like finding like the really granular details of like, okay, well, they didn't put their thumbprints on like the doorknobs, but where yeah. else can we look? Yeah. No, and I think that's really interesting. Do you come across like on a personal level, do you find yourself doubting in those moments? Do you feel yourself doubting your own expertise sometimes? Because I think this is like also a thing that's like shifting in like the common consciousness is like the the description of expertise, like the who do we take as experts, you know, yep. considering the rise of TED Talks and the rise of just personal experience, standing ground yep. as expertise for the first time in many years yep. um, that I can think of. Like, do you find yourself coming across those barriers or are you just like, fuck that shit and just... Ever, yes. I think it's, yeah, it's increasingly rare. I think more so in my, in my let's see... In my first couple of years, I feel like I just had like young, arrogant bravado that I was like, I can I handle whatever the fuck you bring me. And it was like, you know, like, like a puffer fish that just like puffs itself up when it's really just like small and scared. Yeah. I think a lot of it was that. So yeah, I think most of that, oh shit, can I really like bring this you, person yeah. to value? Might've been more in my like, in like the no man's land of like year two to year five. <clears throat> but then, you know, once I had a decade of, positive client results behind me like for me the litmus test of how I know that I'm more confident in things that I'm bringing into it is my first couple years of sessions I would have their intake form and I would you know study the shit out of that and like take some notes for things I wanted to ask and like I do a lot of prep work before calls I haven't done I do zero prep work now for coaching calls (laughs) for podcasts yeah I now trust myself to just like show up and be like I'll follow the energy and whatever reveals itself is what's correct yeah. Um, and not because I'm always correct, but just because whatever's because supposed to be channeled, humans, yeah. that's where the energy was supposed to be followed. Just like I don't plan sex with my girlfriend ahead of time of like, okay, like she's going to come like this two, two times and then I'll make sure to lick here. It's like, no, <laughs> I can be in the room. And, and also follow. that plan will probably fail because the same stimulus doesn't give you the same responses, whether we're talking about no. sexual pleasure or people exactly. in a coaching session. You can ask the same three questions and go nowhere totally yeah so yeah that's why i like those one percent shift clients because yeah it does keep me sharp and right to your actual question yeah not as much anymore which doesn't mean that it can't happen and won't happen in the future yeah. i'm sure if i get 25 minutes into my first call with a new person and i haven't like you know Unlocked drilled something. for oil and like hit pay dirt <laughs> yet i'll be like okay like where do we go now like what's, what's supposed to emerge but yeah. No, yeah. It's, it, it's it's so funny because I, I can feel it inadvertently through the podcast because I'm not here to dig. Like, I'm here to have a conversation and whatever. Yeah. But with some people, I end up, like, making them talk about themselves, which they hadn't planned on doing because they were planning on talking about this thing that they right. did. And so it's just really funny because I'm like, oh, um, that's a thing. <laughs> like, yeah. You're just like, you can see that shift right away when someone's... Um, surprised by where they took themselves totally 
Yeah, because that surprise is, oh, there's a discrepancy in my reality versus the agenda that I came in with. Mm-hmm. For me, that's, yeah, that's kind of, nine times out of ten, it's just flat and boring. Like, when I hear, <laughs> I mean, that, that's why the majority of, you know, late night shows are unbearable for me to watch. Because it's like, <laughs> it's a, you know, there's like a six-minute bit, and like, it, the questions are all pre-approved, and yeah. and the prompts are like, yeah. Jimmy Fallon would be like, oh, like, is that a thing for you? Like, have you ever, like, had, do you have any funny stories about ice cream? Like, well. Funny you should ask yeah, about yeah. ice cream. I do. <laughs> you like, like, what the hell fucking, like, how pandering, it's like, putting this bullshit on a platter and, like, how stupid are the masses that this is, or these networks that they think, like, this is quality entertainment. This is what people need. Yeah. This is why I really love, speaking of late night talk shows, um, the Graham Norton show. Do you watch that sometimes? Because no, he definitely has those, it's a British uh, talk show. He definitely has prompted questions. And the whole premise of his show is like people tell stories. Like he even has a red chair where someone from the audience comes to tell a funny story. Hmm. And then if it's not funny, they like flip the chair and whatever. Yeah. But they're all drinking. They're all actually drinking alcohol. So it'll go way further than what was scripted. Right. And you can see it. Like, you can definitely see when they start to stray away. And I'm just like, this is why I watch this late night. <laughs> like, just you know, hot feed ones? them alcohol. <laughs> no. On YouTube? It's, yeah. So, the, the through line of, <laughs> I'll share this quickly, but also, what you're talking about, it's like, yeah, people are hungry for something that's honest and real. So, Hot Ones, on a YouTube channel called First We Feast, there's 10 wings and each wing is a progressively hotter, like it's tossed in a progressively yeah. hotter hot sauce. And like the last three are just like insane. Like it's, you know, <laughs> the people are losing their fucking minds. But it's the same host every time and a different celebrity who's like doing the challenge. And as you're eating progressively hotter wings, they're asking progressively like deeper, deeper questions. questions. Like, really oh my into God, it I love that. With like legitimately famous people. <laughs> and yeah, like it's, it's built into the structure of the show that... When people are like just losing their minds, <laughs> trying to breathe through their tongue being on fire, it's like it drops all defenses and they're honest. So, I mean, how do you think that came up? Like, I would love to be in the room of the brainstorming. I'm just like, do you know what we're gonna do? Yeah, we're gonna feed them on wings. How do we get Jordan Ramsay to crack and really show, like, beneath the character armor, take off the mask, and just be a dude with us? Yeah, hot wings. There you go. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. My pleasure. <laughs> Did you have any parting words for anyone listening? Mm. Mm, I know. I love this question. Everyone's like, fuck you. I'm not prepared for this. I like being not prepared. I didn't come prepared. Why would I be prepared for this? Um, yeah, I guess what feels most relevant and alive to what we talked about is that if you've made it all the way to the end of this episode <laughs> and you you are a person that either hasn't told those deeper, scarier truths to any people or only a small handful of people, uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And that, yeah, I hope that the way we framed it doesn't like, <laughs> doesn't preclude it you validates. thinking that you're making progress. It's like, no, timing is a huge thing. And there are absolutely things that I would bring to a lover or a coaching client or a podcast appearance um, now with such ease that I wouldn't have allowed to even be referenced three years yeah. ago, four years ago. And so 
yeah, time is an integration factor, and there's no rush, and life is long, and you'll get there if and when your soul is meant to integrate that exact lesson. That is very well framed. Thank you for those very wise parting words. Thank you for the prompt. <laughs> no worries. Anytime. Um, thanks so much for listening, you guys. If you have any questions, insights, comments, or whatever, you know where to reach me. And I will put all of Jordan's info in the description so you can go check, us out, check him out and check out his prolific writing. Um, as always, I will end this with the boring shit so please like subscribe applaud all that crap that makes other people have access to these conversations not boring at all it's super important <laughs> subscribe if you're a freeloader and you haven't subscribed hit that subscribe turn the notifications leave a review be a good person thank you and Support also art. yes buy my book i've been told last night that i don't say this so buy my goddamn book it's actually um all right apparently <laughs> thanks so much you guys have a great weekend and speak to you next friday Oh, you know, man, you know, man, you know, man.